0: Welcome to the well community jokes. Oh, nice cup
1: of tea. Thank you. Ready to go? Hey, everyone. Thanks for uh, tuning in as we continue in session three of this video teaching series that we've entitled The Bible More Than a Book. And maybe you're just catching us in session three. I wanna encourage you that there are two other sessions that would maybe help you understand this session. But if you didn't get a chance to do that, we're just so happy that you're here and that maybe you're wrestling with new questions about the Bible. One of the things we've tried to do in this teaching series is to think about the assumptions that we have or the ways that someone maybe taught us about the Bible and was doing their best, but we realize that's maybe now a hurdle or a stumbling block to really growing in our understanding of the Bible. And all of us have different stories or experiences uh, related to the Bible and how to understand it, how to read it. Maybe you, like me, have, have felt like the shame of not reading your Bible enough or wanting to study it more but not knowing how. I mean all of us have these experiences and, and we're pray, we're prayerful that like a, a teaching series like this would just kind of alleviate the shame. Would just make you feel like, hey, my questions are similar to your questions, and whether you're new to Christianity or been a Christian for many years, maybe all of us can use kind of a recap or reminders of the importance of the scriptures. Now, a few years ago, there was a study that was done, and it was done by EFC, which is an organization called Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, and a Bible engagement study. And they were working on trying to understand why over the past few years, more and more people were just not reading the Bible. I mean, the decline uh, that the study showed of of a time when people were reading the Bible, 21% of people uh, claimed to be reading the Bible, and then the decline is just crazy to 11% of people just in a few years. And what was even more fascinating in the decline is that as people stopped reading the Bible, they stopped attending church, and within a short time, you just start to wonder, like, is any of this even real? So, What we're trying to do is to realize that reading the Bible and taking the Bible seriously is really connected to a lot of parts of our life. And as Christians, I don't think we're going to just get people reading the Bible more by yelling at them or just saying you should read your Bible more. You know, that in a sense doesn't really work. Or some people try this with me. It's like, well, the Bible is the word of God, so get into it. You just realize that's not going to work anymore. And what we've tried to do is, is provide maybe a bigger understanding of why we have the Bible and how we got the Bible and how it's always been essential, kind of the primary way that God speaks to his people. And maybe if we understand that, we'd come to it in a different way. We'd approach it through a different lens. Over, over the past few months, one of the things I've tried to do is to also read some books by people who are not Christians. I often do that. I have many people in my life who are not believers. They don't believe in God. Someone that I love very, very dearly is an atheist. And so I try to read books or th- certain thinkers that they engage with. And so I decided I was going to read the newest book written by Richard Dawkins. The book is a really edgy title. It's called Outgrowing God. And so that caught my attention. And so I read the book just to kind of think about what I believe about God. And obviously, I don't believe with everything that the book says. But what was shocking to me is that the first few chapters of the book, Way for it, were on the Bible. That Dawkins himself decides that he's going to attack a certain version of Christianity by quickly attacking the Bible and parts of the Bible. And so in some ways, I realize that many Christians probably would get overwhelmed by the attacks that he uses if they don't understand the rich history and the complexity of the Bible. That's why a series like this exists, to really help you feel confident that when you say you're a Christian, when you say you love Jesus when you say that you're learning to love Jesus by reading the Bible, that's just not something like a dumb person says, or it's not just someone who's religious that says that. But it's someone who's thinking about the Christian faith from a historical perspective, an intelligent perspective, a challenging perspective. And so we want to keep inviting you into that conversation. In this session three, I want to just piggyback on what we did in session two. And I want to move us on to understanding an idea about what we mean when we say the word of God. If you've watched session two, you maybe remember this. But in session two, I gave you three different ways that the Bible uses the phrase Word of God. Maybe some of you remember. The first one is that when the Bible uses the Word of God, it's talking about Jesus. And I actually gave you a way of remembering that by calling that Word of God, when we're pointing to Jesus, as the eternal incarnate Word of God. Like he's eternal, he's always been there, and he comes to us in human form, as a person. Jesus is the word of God. And then we talked about how Jesus started to teach people in the Bible times that we learn, There's the spoken word of God. So that's the oral tradition. We often call it the oral tradition, the the passed on stories that Jesus told people in in an ancient world where most people were illiterate. I mean, they couldn't read. The way they memorized the Bible, the way they heard about Jesus is they told their neighbor and they brought their neighbor to Jesus and Jesus told them the story. And, And that's why the Bible has parables and stories and all these different ways of teaching us about God's love and about the purposes that God has for our life today. And so these were the two main ways we talked about the word of God pointing to Jesus, speaking about Jesus, and the word of God, which is the oral spoken authority that Jesus had when he was teaching. I mean, it's amazing the things that people were saying about Jesus and and his teaching, that they realized that he was just different. There was something about him that drew both people who were religious and people who were so-called sinners and people who wanted nothing to do with God and and the magi who come to see him are a Greek Persian background is all this way Jesus is almost magnetic he draws everyone to himself because he's the word of God and he is God but in this session I want to just take us to the next step which is the third way that we usually think of the word of God which is the word of God as in our Bible the real book the textual book And this is always a real shock for people because we often think that the Word of God as a Bible that we have and use and love and read and study just kind of fell out of the sky. I mean, some people don't, I think, intend to believe that, but they start to over time. Uh, I had this conversation with with my mom who's, uh, you know, a great role model in my life and and loves Jesus. And and I was sharing with her some of the things about this series. and, And she said something to me that maybe you've thought about. She's like, I think that... Most people believe we got the Bible the way Moses got the Ten Commandments. Like, he just went up to a mountain, God gave them these commandments, and it's the words of God. And we almost mistakenly almost transpose that idea to the actual Bible. Like, somebody went to a mountain and the Bible fell out of the sky and we have it. Actually, there's other religions that view their, uh, like, sacred texts that way. Islam, in a sense, has a better, has that kind of version of how the Quran works. But not in Christianity. In Christianity, we're left to live in the tension of the fact that God used broken people and history and time and his spirit working through all of those things to give us a faithful account that would help us understand that Jesus is the word of God. And and for some of you, maybe you're hearing me say that and it's making you very nervous, like you're getting a rash. Like you get nervous because you feel like, well, there's a lot of room for like discrepancies here, like from... Jesus is the Word of God and then the spoken Word of God and then the written Word of God like what was God thinking? And you know what every time I think about that. I think I don't know It would have been easier if he just dropped the the Bible out of the sky with some cool birds or a dragon and then we'd be like Obviously, it's the Word of God the dragon brought us the book But that's not what happened. We actually in a very simple thing like by either doing a bit of history reading, and even the next generation and people that you know who don't believe in God might just even do a Wikipedia search or a Google search and quickly find out some of the things I'm going to tell you in this session. And I think it's crazy that Christians wouldn't know these things, that Christians wouldn't probably hold in tension some of these real things that maybe someone might ask you a question about. So I want to read a passage from the Gospel of John. To help you understand an important shift that will happen between the spoken oral words of God, the oral teachings of Jesus, and then what will become of the written word of God, the Bible. In John's gospel, in John 20, this is what he says near the end of his gospel. He says this, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written, this is important, the things that have been written are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Let's just say the Word of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. I mean, if you need any kind of anchor to hold you, that whenever you think of the Bible, you should remember what the Bible says about the written Bible. That the Bible says, and John is saying even about his own gospel that as we thought about everything that Jesus did and as we we tried to figure out how do we put together some of this in writing we want to focus on something very important that we want people who read the written word of God to fall in love with the eternal incarnate word of God right and remember we did this in the first session it's easy to read the bible for the sake of just loving the bible but that's not what the bible says The Bible says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And the written word points to his authority and that he's the only word of God. In a sense that the spoken word and the written word always point to him as the eternal incarnate word of God. That might help you as you're reading the Bible. Or especially if you're new to Christianity and you don't even know what the Bible is for. That's why we have a Bible. And that means that some of the questions, again, that I might have about Jesus or the Bible are not answered. Like, I've always wondered what it would have been like for Jesus to be a teenager. Like, I have young boys. I'm a dad with three kids. And I often wonder, like, I wish I could tell them a story about when Jesus, you know, was just obedient all the time so that they would listen. Or I wish we had a story about when Jesus told a joke and the disciples are like, I love that one. Hey, love it. You know, all these things. Or did Jesus ever have a toothache? You ever think about that? I mean, he was human. And did he be like fix it myself or did he like where's a dentist I'm losing my mind like all of these things all these questions that I have I don't know if you have questions about this and for some people if they don't understand what we're going to talk about in this session they often stop believing in the authority of the Bible because it doesn't answer all the questions that they have well if Jesus is so important how come we don't know everything about him well John's like I don't want you to be confused about that let me tell you what we wrote when we decided to write We wrote the things that would help you understand that the most important decision you make in your life is put your trust in Jesus, the Word of God. And when you do that, you will experience life in His name. It's so beautiful. That moment when that all comes together. So let me just walk you through these important points that will connect how the early Christians realized that out of the oral words of Jesus, the spoken words, they would have to bring together some of his teachings that point us to him as the written words that we have in our Bible. First of all, I mean, it's important to understand that it would have taken some time for this to happen. It didn't just happen right away. And in a previous uh, session, I talked about how actually writing the words that Jesus was speaking right away wasn't advantageous too much to people in the ancient world because most people couldn't read. They One, couldn't read, and two, for many of them, they really thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. Hey, let me just take a few minutes and unpack a little bit about this important shift between the oral words of Jesus, like the, the spoken words, that were already authoritative, by the way. People's change, Jesus is changing people's lives. He's transforming people's lives. He's saying things that are clearly God speaking through him as the, the word of God among them. And then the written word of God. And the, the, the sacrifice that was done by so many, not only the writers of the Bible, but the messengers, the people who brought us the Bible, who went to churches and dropped off Paul's letters. I think we can fail to miss the special gift that we have when we think about like these scriptures in our language, scholars, historians, theologians who've worked so hard to kind of give us something. And it's a great reminder that the Bible talks about how about all those gifts are gifts of the church for the church, that we all work together, the same way you have gifts. And God wants to use your gifts for the sake of people experiencing what it means to surrender their life to Jesus, the Word of God, so that in believing in Him, they would have life. Like, that's that's it, right there. It all comes together. We call that the gospel, the good news, that God comes to us to remind us that life is only found in Him and what He does for us. Maybe you've heard of that before. So my prayer is that as we go through this session, you would feel Jesus nudging, calling you closer, teaching you to trust His words, the Scriptures, as the only way to really learn about who He is. So one of the things I want to show you is there's a time in the ministry of Jesus, it's actually the first time we know of that He preaches in the Bible, where he, he does exactly what I, want, what I want to show you. He's going to take the written words of God, and he's going to show people how it points to him, the eternal word of God. And it's a profound moment in the story uh, of the Bible that we have this in. It's in the Gospel of Luke, and some of you maybe heard of this. It's where Jesus goes to the, the temple. He's at the synagogue, actually, in his hometown. It says he goes back to his hometown. And there's nothing like going back to your hometown, right? Like, I recently moved back to my hometown that's where our church is located. And you have all these expectations. People are going to remember you. People are going to like you. People are going to care. And none of those things happen. Like People have different views. They've grown up. You've grown up. They have new expectations of you. They don't really remember you. All of these things. And, and Jesus comes back to his hometown. And there's all of these expectations that are already on him. I mean, some of the language that's used in the Bible is language like, is that like Joseph's son? Is that, the like, is that Jesus, is that really him? You know? And now he's like a Bible teacher, and he's teaching. And they allow him to be able to teach the scriptures in, in the setting of the worship setting that they're in. And Luke tells us something profound happens, that Jesus is given a scroll, and the scroll that he's given, I want you to understand this, is the written words of the Hebrew Bible of the Jewish people. So there is a written words that the Jewish people would have seen as the word of God, okay? And Jesus is given the scroll. And he reads from the scroll. We're not sure, scholars are not sure if Jesus gets to pick what section to read or if the sections are already given in advance. And sometimes that's, that's done in the, in the ancient world, like they follow a pattern of reading. And Jesus reads through the section of Isaiah, this profound section of Isaiah. And it talks about how in his coming, like that people are going to be set free, that, th- that those who need healing will be healed and those who are lost will be found. I mean, these beautiful images for what it is that Jesus is going to do now. In his ministry. Because this happens right at the beginning of his ministry. Jesus is probably maybe 30 years old or so. This is what we're told. That he rolled up the scroll after he had read it. And he gave it back to the attendants and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Like imagine. They're all like, is that like the guy who grew up with our kids? Like did he just, what? And he began by saying to them this that today, this scripture, this ancient written prophetic writing of the prophet Isaiah is fulfilled in your hearing. Like, can you imagine the moment when Jesus says to them that the written words of the Hebrew people, the Old Testament, all make sense and are fulfilled when they point to the word of God, which is me, Jesus of Nazareth. Can you imagine... Well, first of all, just imagine the blasphemy that that would have meant. Like, people would have been like, you think you're the same as the writings of Moses and the prophets. Well, yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, you think that only when we believe in you can we understand the story of God through his people. Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. And all this goes on, right? And you would think that, you know, people would be, like, excited, but after Jesus starts to speak and to correct and to move people along, something happens, something you really don't expect. It's right at the beginning of Luke's gospel, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry is the first time they try to kill him. Like I think for most of us, when we think about Jesus dying, we think, oh, he dies on a cross. I mean, he does. But that's not the first time people try to kill Jesus. The Bible tells us that the first time people try to kill Jesus, it's people who know him in his hometown who get upset that he's telling them that the written words are meant to point to him The eternal word of God. And they're like, we don't want that. We just, we know what it's like to have the Bible and to study the Bible and to know the Bible and stay right there. Now, there's a lot of things I could say about this in in the session. But one of the things that starts to happen when you read the Bible is you realize that the people who do this the most are people we often call Pharisees. And I always feel bad when I talk about or teach about the Pharisees. Because when we talk about this, this group of people, the Pharisees are these religious leaders, these Bible scholars. We can make this problem like this old problem that somebody had a long, long time ago. But the truth is, is, if I'm really, really honest in this session, is that there's times in my life where I've been a Pharisee. Where I'm looking for a word in the Bible that I can correct somebody or, or make them do what I want them to do. Because it's very easy to use the Bible for the sake of getting people to do what the Bible says. And not care that people maybe need to learn to read the Bible and hear the Bible so that they would fall in love with Jesus. Like this is the great great challenge that we have in the first century. It's the great challenge that Jesus is dealing with that you had the scriptures, the written writings of the people of Israel and I'm here now and you didn't know that they pointed to me? Now, I mean, let's cut them some slack. It would have been hard to know. Any one of us would have been like, what do we do with this Jesus guy? Like, is he really the word of God? Like, is he really God among us? God with us? Which is one of the great names for Jesus that we use, Emmanuel. Like, God is really with us when he's here? And they're like, this can't be. And this is an important step between the oral spoken words and now the written interaction, how we interact with the written writings of the Bible. That Jesus does this first with the written Bible that people already have, which is the Old Testament. Now, I feel bad calling it the Old Testament. A better title for it is the Hebrew Bible. Because when things are old in our culture, we just throw them out. And that's why a lot of people don't read it. But it's really the Hebrew Bible, the first part to the second part, which is the, the canon of our Bible. And at one point, Jesus, as he's teaching and trying to correct this misconception that you can get the written Bible and never get to Jesus... You can fall in love with just the knowledge of the Bible and the authority of the Bible and how you can use the Bible to make other people do things. The religious, the religious fabric of any religion. And Jesus deals with this when he, he, again, in the Gospel of John, will start to teach people who are listening and these religious leaders. I mean, this is relentless on him. He says this at one point. He said, the father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. Because they're asking, like, what kind of authority do you think you have? Like, you're the word of God. Like, get out of here. You're not really that important. And he says, you don't understand. Like, the Father and the the relationship I have with the Father, that I and the Father are one, is already a testimony to this. And then he says this. Just feel this in your bones. You study the scriptures, he tells these religious leaders, and it's telling us. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. This is the, the challenge of reading the Bible for the sake of the Bible that you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I mean, like, I'm like, did he just say that? That's amazing. Like how amazing that Jesus is like, you religious leaders missed the whole thing. You missed the whole thing that the oral spoken words and the written Hebrew writings exist to point people to me the only one who gives eternal life the only one who has sole authority well just think about the tension or the complexity for people hearing jesus say this like the ancient writings of moses and the prophets the written writings of israel the hebrew bible they're meant to point us to him the living word and in some ways, the, even the Bible, were meant to feel this tension, and it might be hard to hear, but, but even the Bible itself can contain the greatness of God. One, not only did Jesus do so many things that we don't even have access to that weren't written, but the Bible talks about how the prophet Isaiah talked about God saying to his people, my ways are so beyond your ways, and my thoughts, God says, are so beyond your thoughts as humans. Don't, don't confuse this. Don't try to box me in. Don't try to contain me. Anytime we think we can contain the greatness of God in anything, it's called idolatry. That's what the Bible calls it. The Bible warns us about making anything or giving anything the authority that only belongs to God and Jesus. And if we're not careful and we miss this, even the Bible itself warns us about people who did this with Jesus. So Jesus' first sermon, he corrects this. And he says, "Hey, hey, these scriptures are meant to awaken this new love and hunger for me. And so that you would have eternal life, eternal life, not even like heaven when you die, but but that the eternal word of God, the incarnate word of God, Jesus, that he would give you new life and see your life from an eternal perspective. I mean, there's so many times in my life where I've needed that, where I was confused and overwhelmed in a difficult situation. And I needed to remind myself that no matter what pain I'm feeling right now, God has an eternal perspective on this. That God has this bigger perspective that in my pain and in my suffering and in my discouragement and even in my confusion, I can trust that God's eternal plan is working itself out through me because I've surrendered my life to the Word of God, Jesus. I've surrendered everything that I am to Him. And so I want people to fall in love with Jesus when they see me taking the Bible seriously. This is why the Bible is always to be understood as more than a book. Because if the Bible is just a book, and if the Bible is just something you read to know the Bible better, Jesus was already dealing with this in the first century. That it easily becomes a book that we use to control, to win a debate, to fight, to argue. And now don't get me wrong, the church has had to have debates over what certain things mean. And in the fourth session, I'm going to make this really, really practical as we feel the tension of interpretation and understanding, like how do we understand complicated passages in the Bible? But before that, we have to let God transform us so that when we get to moments of conflict, when we get to moments of disagreement, we are so transformed by who Jesus is that we enter those moments in a totally different way. We enter them out of a posture of humility, out of a posture of listening, out of a posture of respecting and honoring someone we even disagree with. I mean, if you care about what the Bible says, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's in the Bible. That as Christians, it should be simple for us to handle a conflict. And yet, some of you know, historically, we've been horrible at that. We've split churches and families. We've, wars have started over this. And I think of so many people that I know who don't believe in God. It's because of that very reason. Because we never understood that the Bible is meant to make us more like Jesus, the Word of God. That the Bible's m- meant to stir in us a love For others to experience what it would be like to have eternal life when they trust Jesus, the Word of God. Now, I wanna just explain to you this little step now that as the New Testament starts to come together and we get the written words, the earliest followers of Jesus are having to make some decisions. Like, have you ever thought about this? Who decided which books would be in the Bible? Like, did somebody just flip a coin and be like, well, let's pick those? Well, I know a lot of people, especially people who are online or are not Christians, they think, oh, it was just a group of some men somewhere who wanted to control people. They put all the books in the Bible that they liked. And so, you know, other people wouldn't read the other books. That's actually not what happened. Now, don't get me wrong. What I say next is going to feel a little bit tense and it's messy. But it's something that we can really trust that God was at work in helping his church. Because remember, they already have the oral word of God. And they're already learning to follow Jesus, the word of God. So the written words are meant to point to that. It's a living witness to who they already trust. And so let me just explain to you some important things that they start to do. That one, they start to realize that they need wisdom for the churches that are growing in the first century. You don't really understand the Bible until you understand the importance of the church. I know many people who are like, I read the Bible, I don't go to church. And I often have a joke I share with them. I'm like, so which Bible are you reading? The one I'm reading or another one? Because most of the Bible is for churches, two churches about church people learning to follow Jesus. And yet we somehow, because we can just think we have a book that we take and we read because of the gift of the printing press, we can each have our own Bible. We can fail to understand that this is a book that's given to a community to be read in community, to be lived in community. The words of God for people together. And it would have been made a lot more sense when people who got the words that Paul was writing, when they couldn't read, the only way you heard Paul's words is if you got together with people and one person in the group could read them out loud. I mean, there was no surrey or, you know, somebody reading something like we so have today take advantage of today. And Paul starts to write. And so let me give you an important historical note that you should try to never forget this. You might forget other things I said. You might turn it off after this point. But remember this. Paul is writing letters to churches in the first century before Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John write their Gospels. Like, just let that sink in for a bit. This is not a mystery. This is not confusing. This is not even controversial. This is just, we just know this. That's great news for Christians. That means that the church is growing exponentially and people are saying yes to Jesus before they have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John even to read so that they know all the stories of Jesus that we have. They're already saying yes to Jesus, the word of God. And they're becoming part of churches and they're learning to love one another and forgive one another and fight with one another a little bit, right? So Paul starts to write. We think that maybe the letter to the Galatians or one of the letters to the Thessalonians are one of the first, first letters of the New Testament. The reason scholars think that is that they're most most urgent because of a real problem in a church. So Paul writes and he's like, hey, we got to correct this. If this doesn't get fixed, we're going to have a real problem on our hands. Because people who are not sure who Christians are are watching for the testimony of the followers of Jesus, for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Paul knows this, and you know this. You know that at some point, you know, before people ever get to the Bible or get to the church, they're going to wonder whether they're going to give Jesus a chance based on you. Based on whether you're letting the Word of God transform you into a deeper love for Jesus, the Word of God. It's that simple. I would do that. Like, if you say you love God, and if you say you're being transformed by this God... Should I not see something transforming in you by his power? Now, I don't mean that means you're perfect and I don't mean you never make mistakes. But I mean that Paul is writing to people who are trying to make sense of like, wow, Jesus can now give me the strength to forgive somebody who's hurt me. Jesus can now give me the strength to like be set free from lust and greed and anxiety and worry. Jesus does that. That's exactly what he does. When people let his words that are alive by the power of the Spirit begin to do something in us. That's what he does. And so at one point, Paul starts to write, and he's writing to different churches, and he's writing to them, and they're like trying to make sense of, like, man, Paul is important. And Paul's voice is very, very important because he's a great testimony of what it means when somebody is transformed by the power of Jesus. If you don't know Paul, if you've never heard of him, you should know that one of the things that makes his writing and his voice important is he has already let Jesus transform his life. If you really want authority in anybody's life, in your life, let them see how Jesus is changing you. I often have a saying with people at our church, I'm like, don't even let anybody pray for you who isn't letting God transform them. We're so great at having people have authority and it's experience and I've been a Christian for a long time, no, 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 no real-life transformation by the power of God is really how people start to trust whether this is real and how we live in the promise of it. Now, Paul has this incredible testimony that we don't have time to go into, but in the book of Acts, we read about someone who was so adamant that nobody was going to mess with the story of Israel. Nobody was going to try to make the words of the prophets, the written word, be anything different or in any weird way point to this weird Jesus guy. And then, you know what? Crazy moment. Jesus meets Paul. His life is transformed. We don't even know what actually happened. All we know that he saw this light. We have different accounts of the story. He can't see. I mean, it's crazy. In some ways, I wish that happened to more people today so that they would believe, "Uh, I think God's real. Something crazy happened to me. But it doesn't happen that way. But for Paul, it did. And as his life is being transformed and the early disciples of Jesus see this, they start to realize that God is going to use Paul in a special way that he's going to become the mouthpiece, the servant of God, not only to teach the churches and to travel and visit churches and to start churches, but then to write to the churches and to encourage the churches, which start to bring together the beauty of the words of our Bible the way we have them today for us to read and to listen in to another church that's learning to follow Jesus. I often think about this. I mean, what would God say if he wrote a a letter to your church? what would he encourage you to think about? How would he encourage you to pay more attention to your neighborhood and your community? To care that there's maybe a group in your neighborhood of single moms who feel alone and they just need to know that God hasn't forgotten them. Or to adopt a school that maybe needs to know that because Jesus is making us alive, he wants to make other people alive. What does that look like? Now, in some ways, the Bible is still the primary way we hear God speak to us. But it awakens in us to want to hear God speak to us for our time today, right? The 21st century. And at one point, we're given the snapshot into how the early Christians start to trust Paul's writings. And I want to read this for you that it's actually right in the Bible. Peter, one of the most important leaders in the church and in the New Testament, says this about Paul's writings that are now being circulated to different churches. The, The new written words of God as opposed to the Hebrew Bible written words of God. And this is what Peter says. I'll read it slowly. Just try to feel this. Bear in mind, says Peter, that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. This is one of the first times that another person gives Paul's writings an authority that we've never seen yet. It's like he's saying, Peter's saying, what Paul's writing is so important that we see God using it in a powerful way. He says this, he goes on. He writes, Paul writes the same way in all of his letters, meaning he has more than just one. Speaking in them of these matters, which are concerns that they have in the church. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Amen. Very hard to understand. Which ignorant and unstable people distort. As they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. I'm like, wow. I mean, talk about giving now the emerging written letters of Paul a special authority. That Peter says, listen, listen, when Paul is writing and when he's writing to churches, don't think that you could just take it and make it mean what you want and distort it. God is using Paul's testimony, Paul's transformation, and now Paul's words by the inspiration of the Spirit, as he writes, to do something that we never thought would happen. That these writings now are becoming authoritative among the churches. That as Paul writes, other churches read them and they start to share them and they use them. And so this is kind of the first moments that we feel the tension of the spoken words of Jesus in the New Testament start to become the written words that we hear and embrace and trust as the authority of God's word for us. Now, the other thing that starts to happen is that because there's a lot of letters, Christians decide that they need to pay attention to which letters in the first century are already being used by churches. And by being used by churches, I I need to clarify, this is really, really important. They're already being read, sung, confessed, or used in a worship setting. And as they recognize those letters, they realize, wait a second, God, we recognize the authority that is already given to some of these writings that we have among us. And those are the writings that solely make their way into our New Testament today. It's important to understand that. I know it felt like a little bit hard, and I know it feels a little bit historical, but it protects us from this assumption that somewhere someone just magically said, well, I should pick, we're going to pick these books that we want. We're going to decide what what we like in the Bible. And that's not what happens. It's actually they start to recognize the books that already seem to have authority among them because God is using his spirit through these words. And in these moments, over a period of a few years, it takes some time, these writings get codified. The canon comes together and we get the Bible that we kind of have today. Now, you might have a lot of questions like, where the apocryphal books come in and what about this? And that's fine. We're not going to answer those here. Part of these sessions is to awaken a new curiosity in you, that you would maybe read something, check out a resource that we can encourage you to think about. But in this session, I wanted you to feel the importance of what it means to understand Jesus speaking words of life and the earliest Christians feeling, we should kind of put some of this in writing now. You know, as the earliest followers of Jesus start to get older, some of them start to pass away they realize they need to kind of bring some of these writings together and paul is writing and the church is growing and so they need these writings and so we can trust that the words that we have in the new testament and in the old testament have come to us through the working and the sacrifice and the discernment and prayers of christians and remember this and martyrs people who died to pass on the stories of jesus Nobody dies to pass on a story that's not real. Nobody dies to pass on a story that they kind of heard by their friend 10 years ago. They die as martyrs to pass on a story because they understand that they're not really dying. They've already surrendered their life to the one who's the living word of God, Jesus. And in him, they will have life eternally. And for that reason, they sacrifice everything that they have to pass on and to share and to write and to give us the written words that we have in our Bible today. It would be a shame and almost an unacceptable thing for us to be okay with just reading the Bible so that we can just learn a little bit more of the Bible, so that we can pass some test or answer some quiz or, or win some debate. That's not why the early Christians died to pass on the Bible. Like John said, they gave us the Bible so that we would embrace what it means to have life in Jesus, the Word of God. Now, I want to leave you with a story, and I want to close with this, and it's a story that's really transformed my thinking on the Bible for many years now. A few years ago, I was involved in a conversation with a church, a wonderful church that I knew well. They had a pastor who was considered one of the best Bible teachers around. I mean, he was such a great Bible teacher. Every time he preached from Scripture, I was inspired to want to be a better preacher. And I'd be like, wow, so beautiful how when he would preach, he would help people like think about Jesus. And yet like, you know, some people didn't always get that, right? They would get stuck at either just reading the Bible for themselves or reading the Bible for the Bible's sake. And then something happened that over time happens in churches. The pastor left. It was time to resign. The pastor transitioned out. And I thought, here's a chance to see a church that that's sat under the teaching of a great Bible teacher live in the fullness of what the Bible teaches, And within a few months, the first conflict developed. And within a few years, the second conflict developed. And then one pastor came and then he left. And then there was a conflict on the board. And then there was, and all these things happened. Now, by God's grace, that church didn't split or anything, but many churches do. Many people can sit under amazing biblical teaching, somehow think that they're hearing the Bible and they're hopefully becoming like Jesus until something happens that shows them whether they've really let the words of God in the Bible transform who they are. And so in our last session, I'm going to move us to a real practical place, about a place that will help us understand how do we take the beauty, the richness, the history, all of this fun stuff that we should know, by the way, and yet how does it unpack kind of in a real natural way in our lives when we disagree with our wife or with our husband, when we have a conflict with our kids, when we have a disagreement with a brother or sister in church, when our, you know, someone that we love does something that we think, like, I wouldn't do that. I'm not sure if that's clear in the Bible. You'd be surprised, but the Bible talks about that as well. So I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to encourage you to maybe look over your notes this week. Just slow down a little bit and pay attention to maybe times in your life where you've gotten so into the written Word of God that you forgot it's meant to stir in you this deeper hunger to really want to be like Jesus. And so I'm going to pray for us, and I'm going to hope that you come back for session four as we just tie this all together and really close our series off. So let's just pray. Father, I thank you for those who are watching and listening and hungry to understand their faith in a deeper way. And I pray that as we've gone through this session three, that you've allowed your spirit to stir in us this new desire to want people to understand that it's only in you, Jesus, that they find eternal life. We thank you for the warnings in Scripture, the warnings of how religion or even the Pharisees, the best that they knew got caught in this web of of trying to use the words of God to control people rather than to point them to your love and your faithfulness. And so I pray that as we uh, wrap up the series even next week, that you would bring us back and encourage and ready to grow and to think about how you want to use these teachings to transform our lives, our neighborhoods, our community, and even our country. And we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks for sticking in through this session, especially if it felt a little bit difficult to to track through. See you again in session four.
0: Dom, thank you so much for your message tonight. Wren Collective, thank you for your generosity in providing us with some online worship. I look forward to finishing off this series strong next week. Uh, I welcome you back Saturdays at 5. Also, if you have families, young kids, hopefully we'll see you on Storytime Wednesday at 10 a.m. on Facebook and Instagram at The Well Binbrook. And also Picnic in the Park, the Grab and Go edition uh, while we navigate COVID 19. Uh, it's at the Fair Fairgrounds Park on the corner of Bradley Avenue and Binbrook Road. You can grab a bag with a kid's activity to go, uh, visit the splash pad, uh, hang out in some social distancing measures, uh, but also Kids Church Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with Renee. If you're interested in that, email us at hello at the well Binbrook and we will make sure to get you the Zoom link and password so we can protect our children. Uh, Thanks again. Have a great night. Have a great week ahead and may the grace and peace of Jesus be with you. Amen.